We'd like to begin by reading another passage of Scripture. So once you have that, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We look today at the subject of the importance of pronouns. Let's begin Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The Lord, through Moses, detailing the not only the origin of Israel, but the origin of all humanity, says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, this is the sixth day of creation, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Go with me now to Romans chapter 1. That is how God made humanity, man and woman. Then, as you know, sin entered into the world, and that had a terrible effect on mankind. We read about that here in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 18. Don't forget the two verses that preceded it in verses 16 and 17, where Paul said that the gospel is powerful to salvation to everyone who believes. And so he's a debtor to preach that gospel to everyone, to everyone. And then he gives the reason for that in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, 
untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The importance of pronouns. Today, this message focuses on transgenderism, not the LGBTQIA plus issue. You might say, aren't they one and the same? No, they are not. As I will explain as we walk through this, uh, the difference is, is that one can be transgender, but yet be straight or gay. We'll look into that. And the reason for this focus today is because this is increasingly prevalent and it is being insisted on that everyone must use a transgender person's pronoun. This is present in schools. This is present in the workplace. This is present in government where unbelievers deny who God is, what God has done, his work of creation. They deny God's word and truth. And so instead, unbelievers then, they live by their feelings, by their own assessment, by their own sight, and their own twisted sense of what's fair. A pastor friend of mine relayed the following to once. He said, I was asked by a junior hire in my church about how to think of a classmate who had allegedly chosen to switch genders. I found out along the way that her older brother has to suffer having a girl change in his locker room's bathroom stall to prepare for gym class since she claims to be a boy. He doesn't see her change, but she is apparently free to access the locker room, come to the stall, and leave while everyone else changes in the same locker room, making for an uncomfortable situation. And that is an understatement. I have an aim and a goal, several aims and goals for this message today. The first is that it will help you understand what is going on. That's the first point that we're going to look at. Then, to help you understand what does God say about that. That's the second point. Third, what do you need to do? And that's the last point. What do you need to do as a Christian? Because this is a situation of when this will happen in your life. It is not a matter of if it will happen. And you need to be equipped, Christian, to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. That is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. You need to be able to be able to please the Lord and to trust him. Let's begin, number one, with transgenderism. And as I walk through this, let me be very clear. I am telling you what they say here. Okay? This is not what the Bible says, these first 8, 9, 10 points under number 1 on transgenderism. This is what is being said now. Number 1, there, they say there is a difference between sex and gender. Sex is what physicians, family, and society assigns one at birth based on physical biology. So you have a baby that's born, the physician, the dad, society looks at that biology of that baby and says it's a male or a female, the sex. Gender is what society says 
about how each sex should look, how each sex should act, what each sex should do. What they say is this, gender is an idea created by society. Sex is assigned, it's designated. Gender, however, is who one really is. They are different. Sex is biological, but gender is who the person really is. Listen to this from a, a transgender person himself. People are born babies, and a doctor assigns a sex to an infant based on a quick look at the baby's external anatomy. A transgender person's gender identity is not determined by the sex they were assigned at birth. An oversimplification like born a man invalidates the current authentic gender of the person you're speaking about and is considered disrespectful. Gender, number one, is not tied to biology. Number two, gender is not limited to the two categories of male and female. You can have gender queer. What's meant by that is somebody is neither male nor female. You can have androgynous, that is, they are both male and female. You can have multi-gender, or gender non-conforming, a third gender. Or you can have two-spirit people, and what's meant by that is this is especially used by indigenous people, where they say, I have both a male and a female spirit in my body. The, whole, the upshot of all this is that the traditional two categories, male and female, it's too limited. It is restrictive. Number three, gender identity and sexual orientation are not the same thing. Gender identity and sexual orientation are not the same thing. What is gender identity? The American Psychological Association defines gender identity this way. Gender identity is one's internal sense of being male, female, or something else. It is your internal sense of who you really are. Whereas sexual orientation is who you're attracted to, and that might be to someone of the opposite gender, or sex, opposite sex, of like sex, or both. Or neither. And that's why a transgender person can be straight, he can be gay or lesbian, he can be a bisexual, or he can be asexual, not attracted to either. They are not the same thing. Number four, people realize their transgender identity at different times of their life and in different ways. It's not the same. Everybody is different. This can happen and often does at the earliest memory, at their earliest memory. They have a sense of not fitting in with others of their assigned sex. And remember, by assigned sex, they're not talking about the sex God assigned me with. They're talking about what society has assigned me based on a quick look at my biology. And so they grow up herded together with those who are like them but they don't feel like them. There's that internal sense of, I don't belong 
to this category here. As they age, they start to learn more. And they start to feel that they were born, they were born in the wrong body. They were born in the wrong body. And so they begin to explore. They begin to experience. And some embrace those transgender feelings from deep down, but others struggle with them. And so what they need, they need qualified mental health professionals to give guidance and counsel. That's why schools must teach truth. Remember, this is from their perspective. Schools must teach truth about sex and gender. And that comes back to the first point. They are not the same. Schools must teach that, provide guidance and options and understanding. And they need support with other transgender people. Number five, transitioning. You may have heard that word. Transitioning is the process of changing how one presents his, her, or their gender. In other words, how I present myself. I have this sex, this body, this biology. How do I present my gender? Okay. From birth, they present their gender according to the sex assigned by the physician and society. A little boy, and I put that in quotes, is dressed up like a little boy. Little girls are put on with lace and, and things of that nature. And they present that way until they realize that their gender is different from their sex. And the transitioning process takes time. And everyone's experience is different. Number six, we come to the, the main issue here today. Pronouns are tied to an individual's identity. So, using the appropriate name and pronoun, it is essential, important word here, for respect. It is essential for respect, they say. Because using the wrong name and using the wrong pronoun, that is hurtful, it is disrespectful. Listen to another transgender individual. When you call me the pronouns and name I no longer identify, it says, you don't exist. It says, I don't see you, and I value my view of you more than I value your comfort and safety. Misgendering me hurts my feelings a great deal. I know I might look a different way now than I did, but I am still me, and I have always been me. And you using the name and pronouns that I use now, always, even when you see old pictures of me, that is a way to validate that, to validate me, to say that you see me. So what do you do if you don't know which pronoun to use? Well, you show respect for the individual. And you say what your pronouns are, and then what pronouns they use. Perhaps you've seen a news clip where there was a, a meeting of high government officials and they went around the table and they all began that way. Hi, my name is blank. I am her, she. The important thing to say, note that here is this. You say what your pronouns are and then what pronouns they use. You do not ask what is their preferred 
pronoun. But their pronoun, because it is not a preference to them, it is a fact. This is who I really am. Similarly, you need to avoid saying identifies as. We hear that often. You should not say that or use that because gender identity is an innate trait that cannot be changed. Sometimes, remember, there are those who will say, I, am, I might have a female body, but I, I am male, or I have a male body, but I'm female. But remember, it's not limited to just those two. There are dozens of different considerations. So you have non-binary. Sometimes those who are non-binary will use they as a singular pronoun. And that's hard, isn't it? Because we hear they, and we don't think one person, we think more than one person. Sometimes they will use both. Quote, my name is George, and I use he, they pronouns. Then you also have neo pronouns. Neo pronouns are used when traditional pronouns do not accurately convey identity. Some examples of neo pronouns are Z, Z E, or Zim, Z I M. Not he or him, not she or her, but Z or Zim. Or Xi, X E, or Xer. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Sometimes neo pronouns can be used with regular pronouns. So you can use both. It depends on the situation. There are dozens of different ways for identity and expression. You know what really part of the problem is? Part of the problem is the English language. The problem is because the English language has too heavy a reliance on gendered pronouns. Number seven, not using the correct pronoun not using the correct pronoun is insulting, discriminatory, and a form of harassment. When this happens, people are characterized in a way that is contrary to who they are. Remember, not who they prefer to be called or how they identify as, but who they are. Discrimination, they say, is rooted in prejudice. It is that feeling that you are either inferior or you're wrong. And it results in phobia, a fear. In 2020, the United States Supreme Court heard and uh, made a decision. It's called the Bostock decision regarding Title VII. Title VII says that you cannot, uh, no employer or anyone can discriminate on the basis of sex. And the 2020 U.S. Supreme Court Bostock decision said that includes discrimination based on gender identity and sexual orientation. Remember, those two are different, gender identity and sexual orientation. You cannot discriminate on the basis of that. That is law in the United States of America. And so recent conservative efforts in our culture and legislation that has the effect of targeting transgender people. And it results in creating a toxic and hostile culture. They are attacking us. Number eight, 
you must use the correct pronoun in the workplace. You must use the correct pronoun in the workplace. I did a lot of reading about this issue the last few weeks. This is federal law. Everyone must feel included. Everyone must feel that they belong. Using the correct name and pronoun, it is essential to respecting their identity. If you don't use the correct name or pronoun, it makes one feel disrespected. And that can lead to dysphoria, exclusion, or alienation. And the United States government says, quote, it creates an unlawful, hostile work environment. Consequently, employers must enforce using correct names and pronouns. They must provide equal access to bathrooms, to locker rooms, and to showers. You can lose your job if you refuse to refer to transgender employees by their names or pronouns. You can lose your job. What about your religious beliefs, you might say? Your religious beliefs do not matter. Your religious beliefs do not matter. They will not be accommodated. Because if that was to happen, that would result in discriminating others. Listen to this statement by a, 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 a notable a lawyer, an attorney. Regardless of an employee's religious beliefs, employers absolutely should not allow any employee to refer to others by anything other than their preferred name or pronoun. Number nine. We, remember the transgender position, we must work for full acceptance of transgender people. There are four basic steps to this, and admittedly, this is my assessment of that, okay? So I bleed over into a little bit of analysis here. There are four basic steps. The first step is renouncing and rejecting what God has said. It is renouncing and rejecting what God has said, and instead living by my feelings, my assessment, and my experience. The second step is renaming and redefining humanity according to my feelings. So we reject what God has said, and we are now redefining. We are renaming who we are. The third step is to crusade. We must crusade for total, unanimous agreement and support. It is not enough that you just agree. You must support. Crusade for that. The fourth step is to punish and remove disagreement and opposition. It must be punished and removed. It is not enough merely to change people's practice. Their belief must be changed. Number two. What does scripture, what does God say about transgenderism in scripture? Several things here. Number one, we read this, it's on the front of your bulletin. 
God made humanity in his image, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We are not advanced animals. We are made in the image of God. Our entire being, now, let me be clear. I have gone from what the, trans, what the transsexual says to what the Bible says, okay? Let me be very clear. Our entire being, material and immaterial parts of our being, was specially created by God to reflect his image. There isn't a single aspect of who you are that God didn't create to show his glory, to show his image. That means your body, your personality, your feelings, your desires, your thoughts, every aspect of who you are, specially created by God. Number two, God created both sexes to show his image. Remember Genesis 1.27? God made them male and female. He only made two sexes, male and female. Both were created to show God's image. It isn't one shows it better than the other. Both were created to show God's image. Biological sex was not created by society. It is not assigned by a physician, by your, your parents, or by society. Biological sex is created by whom? By God. What does this mean practically? Women must delight in being a woman. Men must delight in being men. And learn how to be the best godly man you can be. Learn how to be the best godly woman you can be. This is how God made you to show his image and to glorify him. Praise the Lord. Number three. The distinct functions of male and female imply different roles within certain spheres. There are some things that only men can do and some things that only women can do. Such as what? Well, particularly, God created men to beget children. God created females to conceive and bear children. And this involves the entire person, the sex and the gender. A woman cannot beget a child. A man cannot conceive and bear a child. God created men and women accordingly. God created marriage as a lifelong monogamous relationship or institution of a man and a woman. For that relationship, for work, for intimacy, and yes, for children. God appointed men to lead, to support, to protect, and to provide in the home and in the church. And God created women to submit, to love, and to care in the home and in the church. Number four. While there's a difference between sex and gender, they cannot be separated. 1 Corinthians 7. Well, that might have caught you off guard, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. 
You may not remember what is 1 Corinthians 7 talking about. The Corinthian church had a lot of issues. And so Paul wrote to correct some things. Remember the point here. While there's a difference between sex and gender, they cannot be separated. The point here is that God doesn't distinguish between sex and gender. God does not distinguish between sex and gender. Chapter 7, verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole passage, just a few verses. Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, then it says at the end of verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. You could kind of put those in quotes because that's what they were saying. The Corinthians were saying it is good for a man not to have relations, not to have intimacy, not to know a woman, not to touch a woman. Paul says this in response, number 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have his, her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to prayer, fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I'll just stop there. You might be saying, I'm not seeing sex and gender there, okay? Sex refers, as they say, to what? The body. And the gender is the pronouns, okay? Did you see here, God didn't make any distinction between the two? The wife and her body, and the husband and his body. There is no distinction between them. That's the point. Gender is not something created by society. It is essential to being in God's image. It is essential to being God's image in and through and expressing your biological sex. It is essential to who you are, who God made you. Sex cannot be changed. Now, Right away you might be thinking, what about those sex change operations that go on? The sex does not change. The body can be mutilated, and that's what's happening. But one's sex always remains. You are always and forever a man or a woman. Gender expresses sex in daily life. It expresses that according to God's revelation in creation and by his word. We read about that in Romans 1. Men and women doing what is contrary to nature. And God tells us in a word, in his word, how women should act and function, how men should act and function. Our conscience helps us with this as well. Expressing your gender contrary to your physical sex it is immoral, it is sin, because it rejects what God has created. And it, you do so on the basis, not you, but they do so on the basis of their desires and what they perceive. So number three, what must Christians do? What must Christians do? 
We've looked at what are we facing and what are we experiencing? Where is it going? We've looked at what God says in his word. So what must you do, Christian? Number one, you must tell the truth. Not telling the truth, it contradicts God's work of creation and it contradicts God's word. And God's word authoritatively and correctly interprets creation. How can you know the truth about anything in creation? You have to look at the scripture. And when the scripture says this is what is true, you must agree with it and continue with it and not contradict what God says. You have to view creation from God's truth. You must tell the truth. A second thing. Names are not necessarily locked to one gender or the other. You might say, pastor's compromising here. Let me give you some examples. The name Christian. And I'm not talking about a believer. I'm talking about somebody actually being named Christian. Have you known men and women with that name? Then there's, well, Danny. There's Sam. There's Tracy. There's Gil, or Gail, I'm sorry. Jordan, Pat, or Robin. These are names that are used for both men and women, aren't they? Maybe we can just go by the name. Unfortunately, just calling someone by their name and not their pronoun that is in contradiction to their sex, that will only work for so long. Remember, they want you to not just conform, they want you to agree. And so number three, you must not call he, she, nor she, he. They are not asking you to do this, they are demanding that you do this. They are demanding that you deny how God created people. They're demanding that you deny what God has said about people in the Bible. They're demanding that you lie so that they will not feel attacked. Number four, you must expect persecution. Remember Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12? In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, blessed are you when you suffer persecution. Or Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer for the name of Christ. Or 2 Timothy 3.12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will experience what? Persecution. No, Paul didn't merely say, those who preach the gospel will suffer persecution. What did Paul say? All who live godly will suffer persecution. Being a Christian, it necessarily means you no longer live like an unbeliever. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You must not be conformed to this world, but you must be transformed. And where does that transformation begin? By the renewing of your mind. You do not and cannot and must not think like this world. You must think like Christ in this world. You are to be 
as Jesus said also in the Sermon on the Mount, you are to be salt in this world. And you are to be light in this world. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Let it shine. What could this mean? I'm going to tell you right now what this could mean. This could mean you lose your job. This could mean disruption in your family. This could mean fines. It could mean jail. You might say, that's hard to believe, folks. As I was weighing this this week, if you would have told me back in the 1990s when I was in seminary and when I was in Bible college and seminary that this is coming up, I would have said, yeah, right was nowhere on our horizon. It's already happening. It's going to happen. This is part of living in a sin-cursed world. And here is an important point to remember along that line. You must not live in a sin-cursed world according to the sin-cursed world. Remember that. You must not live in this sin-cursed world according to this sin-cursed world. Remember the passages we looked at. Joseph, Job, Daniel, Habakkuk, and 1 Peter were godly men, godly women. They suffered because of who they were in Christ because of what they believed. But they did it not living for this life, but looking to please whom? The one that they will be with for how long? The one who's caused them that we saw last week to be born again. The one who's given you an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and will never pass away. Number five, you must not fear but you must trust and obey the Lord. You must not fear, but you must trust and obey the Lord. This is where the passages come in that we read for a second scripture reading come in. You must not fear, but you must trust and obey the Lord, just like the Hebrew midwives did in Exodus chapter 1. What happened when they didn't fear, but they trusted and obeyed the Lord? It says there that God was pleased and he gave them family. Things turned out well for them, didn't it? You must also not fear and trust and obey the Lord, just like John the Baptist that we read about in Matthew there. He was faithful, and what happened to him? He lost his head. There is no guarantee that things are going to turn out well for you in this life. There is every guarantee things will turn out well for you in eternity. Every guarantee. Number six, you must preach the gospel. You must preach the gospel. Romans 1 that we looked at. Remember, verses 16 and 17 is followed by verses 18 to 32. Why has God shown his righteousness through the gospel? So that sinners would be saved. Because sinners need saving. And so, hear me. You must be kind to unbelievers. You must be kind to them. 
You must speak patiently with them. You must speak with grace. This is Colossians 4. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. It means you might very well disagree. But your battle is not with them. Who do we wrestle with, Ephesians 6? We wrestle with Satan and with demons. That's who our war is with. Your aim with folks caught in this particular sin, your aim is to see them trust Christ. And remember, I want to write down this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 9-11. through 11. Remember, when Paul was in Corinth, a wicked place, Paul didn't tiptoe around their sexual immoralities. He clearly gave the gospel. He preached the word, which involved talking about sin, pointing them to Christ. And he said, those who practice these immoralities, they have no hope of eternal life. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, but such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified, and you're sanctified. That wouldn't have happened if Paul wasn't faithful. You must be faithful in giving them that good news. Number seven, you have to grow and mature in the knowledge of Christ's truth for faith and life. You need to know what God says. You need to just be grounded in this so that you can better minister the gospel. What did Solomon pray for? Lord, give me a wise and understanding heart so that I can lead this people, so that I can discern what's right and wrong. And we didn't read the rest of 1 Kings 3, but do you remember the first test for that was? You had two harlots. They both had children. One had rolled over and suffocated her child, claimed the other's child as hers. Solomon has to solve this. He doesn't know. He wasn't there. There weren't any videos present. And so what did he ask for? Give me a sword. We'll cut the baby in two. You can each have half. And the mother of the child said, no, let her take it. But the other mother said, no, cut it in two. And, mothers, and so Solomon said, give the baby to that one. She's the mother. How did that happen? God gave him wisdom. And you need wisdom, and wisdom comes from God as you grow and the knowledge of his word you have to be better grounded in God's word so that you have wisdom for these daily issues. You have to be better grounded in the word so that you can help saints who are struggling, who are falling, so that you can help your brothers and sisters. Speaking of which, number eight, the church must care for one another. We must care for one another. I said earlier that you might well lose your job over this. What must the church do? What must Orwell Bible Church do? If one of our brothers and sisters loses their employment and they need help, shall we pray for them? Yeah. Shall we say, we'll pray for you. Hope you can find food. Is that what we should do? What did James say about that? 
Where is that faith? That's not faith. What must you do? We must help. We must love. We must provide. If necessary, you have to show some hospitality, which we don't really have to do much in this day and age because of hotels and things like that. What if they lose their home and they have no place to go? Will you open your home for your brother and sister until they can get a job and get back on their feet as it will? We must do this kind of thing. But it doesn't stop there either. Wouldn't it be amazing if for God's glory he saves someone who is transgender? Wouldn't that be amazing for God to do that? How must we as the church respond? And let me just say not if, but I'm going to say it with confidence when God does that. How must we respond? We must respond this way. What happened to that person's sin? Does it continue with them? Remember what Paul said? Such were some of you. What happened to that individual's sin? It was nailed to the cross. And you know what? It was nailed to the cross just like your sin was nailed to the cross. We need to look at them that way. Nailed to the cross. You must love them. You must love them and welcome them as new believers just like Jesus does, the good shepherd. This means men have to teach men. And women have to teach women. That's discipling. That's encouraging. Don't think that they can just figure it out on their own. We have to help one another grow in the Lord. I would encourage you, don't give up on new believers. Tell me, when's the last time you sinned? Has it been a few months? Do you regularly sin? We still struggle with sin, don't we? We still struggle with sin, and we continually will. Have we matured and grown? I hope so. But think back to when you were a brand new believer. Think back to, think, think about where you're at now in your maturing Lord and where you were at then as a new believer. And, you may, and you'll, you'll probably say, wow, the Lord has really helped me grow. Did you make mistakes back then? Were there things that you didn't know about that were wrong back then that you went ahead and did anyway? How did you learn what was wrong? How did you learn what was right? through the loving, patience, example, and teaching of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the church must do. So don't give up. Could it be that there will, some, there will be some Pharisees present? Yep, could happen. They'll keep their distance. They might say, oh, no, stay away. You mock. They could gossip or they could judge. You know what that does to Jesus' body here? It divides Christ's body, and we must not tolerate that. It must be lovingly rebuked. If continued in, that's what church discipline exists for. This is obedience to what Jesus has said about his church. Because we love the Lord. 
and we want to serve and obey him. A couple closing things. What happens when you abandon God's truth? What happens when you abandon God's truth? God's truth in the scriptures. And you leave that for what I think. Or what I feel. Or what I assess. That starts to lead you down, to use a, a common term today, a rabbit hole. What's that? Have you ever been curious about something and that leads to another thing and another thing and another thing? And you're like, what was I doing? You know, I've had that happen preaching. What was I talking about? You know? Once you leave God's word and you start going down the rabbit hole of your own thinking, you can become completely lost. And that's how you start to leave the Lord. Don't leave the ways of the Lord. One last thing for conclusion and assessment. It is easy to demonize people who sin. That is not your place, Christian. Who will finally provide right judgment? God will. Does this mean that we don't recognize things? No, I am not saying that at all. I am not saying that at all. But our responsibility, our responsibility to the lost is to love them with Christ's compassion because of their fallenness to see them trust Christ. We don't agree where they're at, regardless of the sin. We cannot say that's good. We cannot agree with what they're doing, whether it's transgenderism or any other sinful thing. We cannot. And we don't because we love them. Because we want to see them follow Christ. Because we want to see them know the Lord. Pray that the Lord uses this to help you understand what's going on. What does God say? May the Lord help us to, to do what's right.